Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Anna Delao, an assistant professor of political science at Yale University. Professor Delao's research interests include causes and consequences of redistribution, effects of anti-poverty programs on the political behavior of recipients in developing countries, particularly Latin America, and the use of field experimental research methods. Today we'll talk with Professor Delao about her recent research on the politics of conditional cash transfers. Welcome Professor Delao. Thanks Marilyn for the invitation. Let's um, talk a little bit about your manuscript. Give us an overview of it. Well, my manuscript is trying to answer two interrelated questions. The first has to do with the proliferation of conditional cash transfer programs. So these are programs that transfer money, cash, to poor households, and the transfers are contingent on parents making investments in their children's education and health. And as it turns out, these programs have been very popular in Latin America. And so the manuscript is trying to answer under what conditions we're going to see countries adopting these programs with the strict rules, and where we're going to see them adopting these programs with loose rules. And so the second part of the, of the book is answering the question of what are the consequences in terms of political development of these countries of adopting these programs. Okay, and what countries do you look at in your manuscript? Well, it's mostly Latin America, but uh, my, my manuscript has one part that focuses exclusively on Mexico, Colombia, mm -hmm. and Peru, and then it does a large-end study of all Latin American countries. Okay, and what gave you the idea for this? Well, the idea for this book started when I was doing fieldwork in Mexico, in rural Mexico. And they're talking to women that were recipients of the Mexican CCT program. Uh, surprised me because these women were very informed about what this program was about. So mm -hmm. they knew exactly what were the requirements to be in the program and how much money they were getting and when they were getting it. And so that just made me think that this was really very different from previous clientelistic type of programs where money would get if people voted for the incumbent. Mm -hmm. and, and so then the question is why would a party such as the PRI in Mexico that is famous for having such a powerful political machine would mm -hmm. implement a program that is so technical and apolitical. And so the question is, once you implement it, what happens to these women? Okay. So w would they still vote for the incumbent, and why would they vote for the incumbent? Okay. Um, we'll, come we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, tell us about your methodology. How did you do the research? Well, the book has many parts, okay. uh, as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicated question in the sense that it has different puzzles. So to answer part of the puzzles, I use more qualitative type of work, like elite interviews and interviews with party brokers, archival work in Colombia, Peru, and Mexico. And then other parts of the book require more quantitative work. So I use um, analysis of experimental work and large-end studies. Okay, let's, let's go back to your findings. Um, can you tell us, perhaps by country, um, you know, what your research has found? Mexico, Peru, Colombia? Well, the, the whole story is basically that the consequences mm -hmm. of these programs have very much to do with domestic politics. Okay. So one of the obvious explanations for why you see the proliferation would be to say that it's international agencies such as the World Bank that are big sponsors of these programs and so that would explain why countries adopt them and the consequences. Mm -hmm. But as it turns out, involvement of the World Bank can explain the variation that we see in the quality of the design of the program and then how rigorous the implementation is. 
So, so the first expansion is it has to do with local politics, with domestic politics. Okay. And now there are countries like in Mexico, for instance, where when these programs were adopted, first the president was uncertain as to whether legislators from his own party and from the opposition would approve the budget for these programs. Okay. And so that led policymakers to include provisions in operational rules that would guarantee a very strict operation of the program. And as a consequence, in this type of countries like Mexico, you would not see enrollment following up uh, political business cycles like mm -hmm. we used to see before. So more people being enrolled right before elections. We don't see that anymore. And also as a consequence, we see that local politics is really turned on its head. So here, uh, a very illustrative quote that I got from a party broker was that what the program implementers didn't get is that they made their life really difficult for party brokers because now they can't really decide who stays and who's out of, of the program. Mm -hmm. And they can't punish people uh, sort of based on who vote for them and who didn't vote for them. So that just gives you a picture of what happens in countries like Mexico. Now there are other countries, for instance, say Bolivia or at the beginning Peru, mm -hmm. where the president didn't have that uncertainty about how legislators would react to that program. And in that case, you see programs with less strict rules you see more enrollment closer to election time, and you see that these programs are sort of continuating these clientelistic linkages. And the interesting thing about Peru is that you see a change over time. So when the president loses uh, the majority in Congress, you see this program starting to get more rules, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the case of Colombia sort of follows up the Peruvian case, uh, where at the beginning it was looser, and then as competition increases, uncertainty increases, and more rules are applied to this program. Okay. And did you come across any difficulties or surprises when you were doing the research? Well, let's see, the big, the, big, the big surprise is that these programs have been incredibly appealing to politicians both from the left and the right. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the beginning, uh, in, in the Mexican case, this program was implemented under the administration of Ernesto Cedillo, who's mm -hmm. now here at Yale. Yes. And and, and this was a very pro-free market government. Mm -hmm. But then this program survived the presidential election where for the first time in seven decades the PRI lost the majority, uh, I mean lost the presidential seat. Mm -hmm. uh, by then they had already lost the majority in Congress. And so it was very surprising to see this particular type of cash transfer surviving such a huge political transition. And then in Brazil you see the opposite case. So you see you see this, the, the CCT surviving, uh, arriving to a left-wing government, so with Lula's electoral victory. Mm -hmm. And so, so the surprising thing is that at first sight, it has nothing to do with politics because parties from all different uh, sides of the ideological spectrum are actually implementing these programs. But then when you look closer, it turns out that it is a completely political story. So okay. I guess the challenge was how to undercover that story. Okay, and how did you, how did you uncover it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's where the mixed methodology sort okay. of gets, gets into place. So, <coughs> so w one of the things that I did was read over all the debates in Congress okay. when the budgets of these programs were being discussed. Mm -hmm. And there what comes across very clearly is that there are some places where uh, legislators are very worried about how these programs are going to be implemented. Are they going to be clientelistic? Are they going to buy votes for the incumbent? Mm -hmm. uh, opposition parties, of course, don't want that. But on the other hand, and particularly in the Mexican case, legislators from their own PRI didn't want this program because it basically circumvented the whole political machine of okay. the PRI. And so you, you, you start to see that political story coming across very clearly. Now, in the Peruvian case, 
it's, it's also an interesting example of how politics starts to sort of show itself in the, in the congressional debates to the point that legislators were discussing to change the name of the program, which originally, so the program was originally called something like Peru Juntas, which was pretty similar to the name of the coalition mm -hmm. of, the, of the president. Okay. And so, so legislators didn't want to have, of course, a name that was so similar to, 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 to the electoral coalition. And so I ended up calling the program Juntos. Okay. Uh, so, 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 yeah, so you see that start, so doing that archival work leads mm -hmm. to thinking more about the domestic politics. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the challenge is proving that argument. Sure. And, and so, so that is challenging. And uh, so instead of directly proving what legislators were thinking, mm -hmm. what the book does is proving some of the implications of the argument with the large end study and then the experimental work. I for see. different countries. Okay. And <clears throat> so, uh, so what are the political consequences of um, conditional cash transfers? Well, the, the, the first thing to note is that there are sort of two sets of consequences. Okay. So in places where the programs are strictly implemented, mm -hmm. what we see is that clientelism is weakened. We don't see those electoral sort of business cycles that I was mentioning before. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you do see people voting for the incumbent. So it's sort of like a sort of virtual circle where you have programs that target poverty in a successful way, according to what, what we know from development economists. And on the other hand, it helps sort of create this relationship between borders and politicians that is different from clientelism. But then on the other hand, you have where programs are not implemented in a street way, you have these linkages of clientelism being solidified. Mm -hmm. Okay, and <coughs> have you seen, um, uh, have you looked at the actual programs themselves in terms of are they benefiting, you know, the people who are getting the, the money, basically? Is there a variation between countries in terms of the benefits of CCT, um, do some countries implement it better than others? Yeah, we certainly see a lot of variation okay. in, 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 in terms of the ultimate effects of this program on the well-being of the families that are being mm -hmm. targeted. So it's a difficult question to answer just because poverty is multidimensional sure. and there is a short-term effect and a long-term effect that these programs are supposed to have. Mm -hmm. What we do know that it's that in the short term, for instance, in the Mexican case, in the short term, we do know that girls stay longer at school. Mm -hmm. Particularly, it, it helps them make the transition from primary to secondary school. We know that, for instance, the incidence of uh, illnesses such as diarrhea among babies mm -hmm. decreases. Uh, we know, for instance, that the parents have better health just because of the transfers that these programs are making, s have some positive externalities. Um, so so we, we know those little facts about the short-term effects mm -hmm. of these programs, and this is all based on a randomized study that the Mexican government implemented in the early stages of the implementation of this program. Mm -hmm. Now, we also have some evidence for other programs. Uh, now, the problem is that for the programs that are not as strictly implemented, we don't have good evaluations. Okay. So what we don't know is, for instance, what happens in countries like Bolivia, for instance, that has a very loose program. Okay. So we don't know what are the impacts of those transfers on well-being. Uh, we could speculate that maybe they're not as great as 
a program that is strictly implemented, mm -hmm. but we don't have that evidence yet. Okay. And conclusions that you reach in your manuscript? Well, well, I, I guess the, the, the bottom line mm -hmm. of the manuscript is that there is a way to alleviate poverty. It, so, so it, there is a way to alleviate poverty making these transfers compatible with democratic habits. Mm -hmm. So we in Latin America, sort of st scholars of Latin America tend to think of transfers as a very clientelistic mode of linkage between politicians and citizens. Mm -hmm. But what these, these transfers, the CCT transfers are showing is that there is a way of making these transfers compatible with voters expressing their preferences, participating in elections, and breaking these linkages uh, of clientelism. So I guess that's the, the, the bottom line would be that, that there are ways of making these two things compatible. Of course, there's always this other side that these transfers, of course, can be also manipulated. Sure. If you get into that second uh, path that I described before. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. Thanks, Marilyn. For more information about Professor Delao and her work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale. Mm -hmm.